0: Hi all. welcome to Anime Echoes. We'll be talking about the like second part of Volume Five. Check out Part One in the episode list. Without further ado, um, we'll get started. So we left off with the girl like seeing the immortals like goofing off and feeling sad about that, and also learning about like Shazer's insecurities in regards to being like the only one that's changed. After this, Alma asks Miser if the other alchemists are okay. Unfortunately, Miser says that only nine survived. So just think about that right now. There's Miser, Chez, Niles, Sylvie, Elmer, Huey, and two guys named Denkuro and Victor that I don't know. Apparently Victor is in the FBI and caught Huey, so that's pretty interesting. So I guess there's like one who's kind of like left in the dark. Elmer says he's happy, like about the news, that they avoided like the worst case scenario, you know, like that there would be like no one left basically. But he's called out for this. They say he's just being like optimistic but Elmer assures them that it's not just like a positive outlook. He says he won't forget their debts. He says that for him, smiling is the only way he knows how to mourn people. He's not particularly good at being sad. We also get some like tidbits about Denkuro. Apparently he was a frozen popsicle for like 250 years at the North Pole, so that's pretty cool. After this reunion, the gangs start like asking like pressing questions that we as the reader are like really wanting to know. What the hell's going on with the village? But Alma's not, like, having any of it. He makes him play a game for the answers. Alma, like, almost chokes from laughing too hard and then he just, like, vanishes. Uh, Right after that, Shaz also asks, like, one of those girls, like, who she is and she states she's, like, a sacrifice. So with this scene, we've already, like, kind of warmed up to Alma and then we're hesitant about him as well. Also hearing about, like, the girl being a sacrifice, you can't help but query, like, what are Alma's intentions right now? We do get to hear more about the village. Um, So overall, the village is isolated and the adults of the village would tell the children lies about the outside world. But to be honest, they all, that that was all like they really knew. Some people left the village being like too excited about the real world because of like an outsider showing up. So the villagers like doubled down on protecting the village from outsiders. They basically like doubled down on their ignorance. Outside people are now considered demons and once Elmer arrived, things changed. and that was like five years ago. I like that we got this like info dump about the village, it helps like solidify the village as some kind of like ominous thing and like a cult, Um, it just makes it more tangible than like something like random. We cut to the village people and they are in a panic, they're wondering like what they should do about Miser and the gang, their ignorance is shown as they don't talk about how like the traders vehicles like look like the like outsiders vehicles as well, so they don't like accept that there's some like evidence before them. They're all looking to Dez, their leader, but he's not much help. His son chimes in and says that they're relying on you to his father, so to Dez. The, this dynamic of like Dez being the leader and his son being like the more competent one will be like important later on. I really love what they do with this. At the time I thought that Dez was like peeved for getting upstaged or something like that. Also at the time, it was really clear that this was all, like, a misunderstanding between, like, the villagers and Alma and Misa and all of that. You know, they're, like, worried that they have to give, like, the last village girl as a solution. Obviously, um, like, the thing that, like, pinged in my mind immediately was one of the girls saying that she was a sacrifice. Using these key words and slowly showcasing more of the plot made me keep thinking while I was reading. Like, it made me keep thinking, like, Alma, like, what are you doing? Like, I know you're a good guy and I know this is a misunderstanding, but... Why run away? Why not just tell Miser and the gang? Is this just your like personality? Like what's going on? Now during this like village people get together, the girl is looking on and hears like Dead shouting. She ends up getting hurt, but Felt shows like some compassion to her and asks if she's like okay. The girl thinks to herself, Well, nothing's different anyways, like nothing will change. Things will continue the same. I feel like this is playing with like the theme of the novel which is like the willingness to believe that something could be better. We see this with Alma's personality as well where he always hopes for something greater. You get the feeling that the decision to actually hope for a better future especially when the world is telling you otherwise is not just like positive thinking. Especially when the world tells you otherwise like it's just not just like positive thinking reframing from Alma. So you see like the like the girl thinks about how the I- Like the outsiders have all been like kind to her and that like they don't hit her like the villagers do. Alma talks about like different places and the girl like desperately wants to hold on to like this positive possibility for a better future. but she feels like she shouldn't. That it's better to believe it's like an impossible dream. She almost gets like mad at Alma for showing a possibility that's greater than the one she finds herself in. A life outside of the village. It's almost like being ignorant would make her feel happier. This internal process that she's kind of going through is also like a, like a microcosm of like what all the villagers kind of have to go through in like a split second as well. Like the second they see like a world, um, that could be better than what they have, they immediately like cut it off. Like should I dare to ever believe that something could be different and specifically better? I personally thought this was like a great look into like the value of having like a positive outlook. See, sometimes with Alma, you get the feeling that he might be, like, dismissing, like, the harsh reality of life or something, with his always, like, positive view, and he is sometimes, but when literally imagining something to be better, like, actually hurts you on the inside, that's how you know you're in a place that you shouldn't be. The possibility that something could be greater than what it actually is, and, like, willingness to, like, actually live in harsh conditions with that possibility in mind is perhaps even harder fight than just staying ignorant. Like, do you dare to hope? Now, let's move on to Alma, after he, like, disappeared. He likes to go to, like, high places, so he's just, like, chilling somewhere on top. And Shez, being as perceptive as he is, remembers that Alma likes to go to these high places, so he finds him really easily. Shez has some personal questions to ask him. Before that, Alma says, quit faking smiles. It doesn't suit you. So now the real Shez appears. So he shows his, like, true personality after, like, 300 years instead of, like, acting like a kid. But Alma didn't expect to see Shez literally become like a different person. He just meant it like literally, like you're faking a smile right now. Though Alma picks up on it quick, he's like, Oh yeah, you are 300 years old. It's not like you'd still act like a kid. Shez says it's strange that Miser, Sylvie, Niles all don't care that he still kind of acts like a kid around them. Despite Shez kind of like bearing his soul to him a bit, Alma um, still tells him to act like a kid and smile right so he's kind of like cutting through it or like Shez would obviously feel like he's getting ignored and he says that like don't ignore like my circumstances like I totally get how like that kind of response from Alma would like get under Shez's skin but Alma also provides his perspective when you're grown up it's embarrassing and tough to smile so much you don't really get that option when you grow up but when you're a kid you can be like beaming as much as you like you can smile as much as you like He has those perks and not only that, he has the choice, so Shez has the choice of when to be mature and when not to be mature, something adults don't have. It's a choice for him, not an expectation, because he's a kid. And so because he'll make everyone feel better, he should smile. So what Elmer effectively does is showcase to Shez that he isn't like dismissing his 300 years, but in effect, showcasing what he has gained with that immortality. He's not allowing Shez to just essentially wallow in just like the negative space. And the idea of like Shez's smile making like others feel better is probably what he's been doing this entire time but he just doesn't see it. That's probably why Miser and the gang like being around him anyways. Shez still doesn't see the effect he has on other people. Shez probably thinks he's being fake but his presence has weight and he's actually helping them. Despite this, Shez does push back on the idea that smiles bring happiness, like it's a strange idea in his opinion. Like ranking emotions as like higher and lower is weird. She says it's like illogical that someone who considers them to be like an alchemist would like say something like that. Alma says that people who try to turn like gold out of base metals are also illogical. Shez says he can't say that because that would deny his own existence because he's immortal. Shez is basically saying it's not illogical because it happened. You're an immortal now because of that alchemy. Overall, I, I really love this entire discussion. Like, once again, it showcases how Elma can make, like, a positive case without, like, diminishing the negative aspects completely. That he can show the sunshine that perhaps Shez cannot see. I also like Shez being, like, super logical and strict. He really doesn't let Elma get away with much. It's a great interaction, and it's pretty interesting. You can see, like, how their personalities would clash, like, given their experiences and just, like, the base personality as well this entire like interaction or conversation it showcases like like you might think that you know having a positive outlook because you're so positive you just kind of ignore what's bad could like diminish i don't know someone's existence or something like that Um, but elma shows that positivity is like a legitimate outlook on life after this they talk about the camps of alchemy that exist which are like researchers slash scientists and mystics so pretty like more really interesting stuff. They're considered um, like the latter, So the mystics. Because they did kind of like summon a demon after all. And apparently it was Miser who summoned the demon. So young Miser would be a treat of a character to like visit. Like I really can't wait to see what he's like. Like what drove him to do such a thing. Anyhow. Um, she still has more like questions for Alma. Like why did you accept us at face value? He's basically um, like asking Alma why did he like immediately trust them. Like, they could have ate him, for all he knew. Shez even put his, like, right hand on his face, and he didn't even move an inch. You know, Shez is like, like, do you not feel any danger? Like, how can you trust so easily? Alma says very simply, I just forgot. To prove this, he even makes Shez put his right hand on his head in that instance. This horrifies Shez and makes him, like, stumble. Shez clearly still has, like, those trust issues, and he can't fathom how, like, All of the other immortals can trust him so easily. Like how do they do it? Chez knows people change. But he believes that human nature is evil. He knows it. He's seen it before, like before him. He finally tells Alma that he ate Fermet, That he was tortured brutally and had to end up eating his own friend. He talks about how he's plagued with Fermet's thoughts. All of his thoughts are full of like hatred and malice towards him. When Chez sees this like within him, he sees himself as like tainted and bad. So when he sees all these people around him, like Misa and the gang and Elmer being so good, it makes him compare himself to them. Shez can't help but think he's like rotten in some way. Especially seeing himself through like the eyes of another. That someone else could hold that level of hatred and malice towards him. Fermat's soul was laid bare for Shez to not only see, but to also feel. And what he felt was awful. Despite all of this, Elmer says he's still jealous of Shez, that despite the 99.9% of people that are awful, he found the 0.01% that were good. That's who Miser and the gang are. They are good people that Shez was like fortunate to meet. Shez doesn't really see it that way and says he's jealous of his like optimism. And interestingly, Elmer says he's just stating a fact. I think within this scene, we get to see what's really eating away at Shez. Every time he sees Miser and the gang, he can't help but compare himself to the gold standard of people that are before him. How can they all be so good? It's almost like he wants to see like some sort of disgust from them so that like the normal that he knows will like come back. It just doesn't feel right within Shez to see that level of warmth and because of that, he can't fully be like receptive to it. What Alma shows is once again the value of that positive outlook. While Shez only sees what he lacks which is a certain pureness within him. What Alma sees is how fortunate Shez is. Shez is blind is on anything good happening to him, so we can't help but question it. Alma breaks through that by explicitly stating to him that his life is really good right now, and that he should value that. Though I think, like, Alma could be, like, I guess, less direct about it, so they could actually get along. Like, Shez and Alma tend to, like, miss each other when it just comes to, like like, the phrasing of words and things like that, but overall... Like, Elmer's perspective is definitely one, like, that Shez needed to hear, I think, in that moment. To continue this conversation, we see Shez's, like, self-loathing more, like, apparently. He thinks that the only one who changed was him, and that he was the only one who got, like, nastier. Elmer sees through this, like, pretty easily. He tells Shez that he's concerned about, like, whether he's good or whether he's not good. Instead of questioning it by putting, like, your life in, like, retrospective or something... Instead, just be good. Focus on the now. People can change, and they're like water. It can freeze, but also melt. So if you want to melt again, if you want to change, you can use like the warmth from Miser and others. That's why smiling suits you better, because it's not just for you. He's basically saying it's not just for you, Shez. You affect others, and your smile, it's for everyone and yourself. When you smile, it makes others warmer, and when they smile back, it'll help, like, melt basically yourself and change as a person. It helps melt like the ice. Smiling will allow Shez to, like, change as a person. Essentially, smiling makes you receptive to experiencing goodness, in a sense. After this conversation, um, Shez, like, jokingly says he'll smile if he jumps down, and that's exactly what Elma does. He just dives to his death. After this, Shez thinks, I'm sorry, Elma. I just can't smile at all. So like throughout this entire conversation between Chez and Elmer, I thought it was like fantastic. Like it really goes into like what is holding Chez back and it actually showcases like the value of smiling from like Elmer's perspective. Smiling allows you to be receptive of goodness. It's a subtle way to be like open to the goodness that is in front of you instead of like just cauldroning in your own emotions on your own. Despite this, Chez's sentiment that he can't smile at all is pretty real. He's not convinced just yet, but it's definitely a perspective he needs to hear. I don't think Alma is particularly good at going into like bad emotions with Chez, But what he is good at is showcasing when there are good things around you. Like if you're just missing them, they're just going to fly by. That's where Alma is really keyed into reality. After this, I began to notice how like the headings of the chapters are like changing. Like, I think we were in, like, fun as a theme, and now we just went through, like, sorrow. I think fun could represent, like, the feeling that the girl was having, like, um, excitement and fun being around Elma. And then sorrow are, like, the emotions she felt when the fun went away. The sorrow she feels when she, like, glimpsed something better, but unfortunately could only, like, taste it. She can't make it, like, her felt reality going forward. Uh, the next emotion seems to be joy. So moving on, the Christmas decorations are up now and Elmer lies about why he jumped off. So he doesn't tell the others what actually happened. Shez feels kind of uncomfortable about this, almost like he's like covering up for like a crime he committed. Miser seems to be pretty like emotionally intelligent. He says that whatever happened between like Elmer and Shez should just like remain between them. Following this, Elmer says something kind of crazy. It's kind of hard to string his thoughts together, but I'll have a crack at it. He says like smiles rule the world. Guys who smile don't die. Villains who rule the world were smiling. So let's smile before the demons do and send food to aid starving people around the world so that they can smile. I think what he's saying is that those who smile are like at the top, like on the top. But bad guys who stand on the top also smile as well. So let's smile before those bad guys can so that we can kind of like get ahead of them. Um, and through that, let's send food to aid the starving people, which is in effect going against those evil people. Like once again, Alma doesn't like dismiss the fact that people are starving. Like this isn't an example of like toxic like positivity or something like that. That being said, following his thought process is kind of difficult. Um, maybe other people know how to explain this moment better than I do because it, it's kind of hard to grasp. After this, we get to see where all like the girls stay. Apparently, they all live in the same house, and it's situated, like, outside the village. I remember at the time, I thought this was kind of strange. Now, we come to find out from Alma that he was consistently, like, killed by the villagers. But he just kept, like, he just kept coming back to the village, like, over and over again. So they were all like, whoa, what the hell? And so he ended up becoming known as, like, this monster. He wanted, like, he kept coming back because he wanted to clear up the misunderstanding, but then he just, like, kept dying. (laughs) Like... I mean, I thought I thought this was pretty funny because like, Elma can also be just a completely like hopeful idiot. Um, anyway, so then he saw that like one of the girls had gotten like burnt, um, and so he used like alchemy tricks to like threaten the village a little, and so he became known as like the Archfiend or Demon. Um, after this scene, we get to get some like interesting commentary from Sylvie, um, Elma, and Niall about like like human violence. Um, Sylvie mentions just how odd the village people are. They have like this mob mentality and that in of itself can be terrifying. They mention how it's similar to like the witch hunts that happen and like the inquisitions. But people were accused of being witches and like killed mercilessly in like a mob-like fashion. The explanation we get is that people will resort to violence if they experience terror. And if like the terror is felt in like a collective way, a group of people will justify that terror they feel and then enact violence, and then, like, feel justified about it. This is basically showcasing, like, the dangers of having, like, a mob mentality, and how that reactivity of being part of a mob can result in, like, vicious actions. Now, after this, Alma um, vanishes once again. Okay, and then, like, after this, we learn more about Sylvie. So it's, all, it's always nice to, like, learn more about her. So Sylvie has gotten completely used to, like, the modern-day conveniences, like, TV, shower, etc., she talks to, like, one of the girls, and she finds out her name is Phil. So now we have a name for one of them. Uh, one of them in, you know, uh, quotation marks. Anyway, um, like, Sylvie infers that Alma is probably thinking of, like, taking this girl, like, out of the village. But Sylvie thinks that she should do this, like, if she wants to. Like, she should make her own decision. We never really got a hint that Alma could perhaps, like, force Phil to leave or anything like that. So I think that comment was kind of strange but true nonetheless so sylvie says that she wants to have a chat with her in like the courtyard and phil immediately says that she got permission from master elma and this was when it like hit me so spoilers for the big reveal um well it's one of the big reveals um so when i thought of how she could connect with elma i thought maybe she's a telepath but then it hit me so i remembered her like picking herself up from the floor so, what I thought was, like, she's not telepathic. She's just communicating with other copies of herself. She's cloning herself. There's copies. So, basically, that's how she's, like, talking with Elma. She had a copy of herself with him. That's how Phil, like, told Elma that there were, like, villagers, um... Like, attacking Miser and the gang. Because she was in two places at once. They all shared the same mind. Uh, I was kind of proud that I figured this out before it was, like, explicitly, like, revealed. But, um... Even if I did, as the novel progresses, there's just more and more reveals that unravel. Um, so just continuous intrigue with this volume. After this scene, um, Sefelt is going to talk to the people in the castle because no one else will. So the people in the castle are Miser and the gang. Uh, we see Dez, the leader, he's just like chilling and then leans back smiling. We find out that Dez's wife passed away and ever since then he's been kind of different. I remember thinking like, what the hell is this going to do? Like, what's going on with him? It's kind of strange to see him just smiling a bit. But I never, I never would have guessed the outcome. Um, So once again, we get Phil's perspective. Um, she's putting away the Christmas decorations. And she thinks she wants Miser and the gang to stay. She starts, like, she started to think that maybe they'll stay, like, forever. This is Phil experiencing joy. I think the difference between joy and fun in this story is that fun was like an experience... Um, like Phil had, but it just kind of went away, and then she felt sorrow for having felt something like fun, but in this case, it's, it's being like, um, like being with Alma, um, like consistently, so Joy is more like consistent, she has felt consistently good, and the consistency has like a certain staying power, like it's lasting, that's why she, that's why I think she feels like Joy, because she's yearning um, for things to continue to be good. Joy in this context has, like, a sense of longevity. That being said, her oldest memory does flash, and it's a memory of her being, like, reborn in a white room. In this memory, someone's, like, speaking and says that, like, the forest is her glass bottle. You know, like, it's her flask, and it represents no hope. At the time, I thought, like, who is this person? But I also thought, I thought it was more like a metaphor. Like you know, this forest represents just the like a glass bottle or a flask within your mind. And but once you know you get out the village, you'll be out of that bottle or flask. Um, I think it is still a metaphor, but more about that idea is revealed later as well. Now that's all for like the second part of volume five. Um, next time for part three, tune in, and uh, thanks for listening.